Again, good morning, brethren. It is uh, always good to be back with you. And uh, excuse me for the double introduction there, but uh, getting my microphone a little bit adjusted. Anyway, it is wonderful to be with you again, and I'm excited. This morning we will be in Titus chapter 2 in this segment of True Pastoring. And again, I just want to express the the wonderful privilege that uh, has been mine to to sit down with those of you that uh, want to spend some time in the Word. Those of you who are excited about your call as being a pastor or a teacher of the Word of God. And um, I I just want to reflect a little bit of years ago, I had a uh, my pastor shared with me in a very important um, bit of advice. One was that is when we get busy overseeing a church or, or preparing messages and working diligently and, and plowing in the Word of God, it's a uh, it's a strong tendency to just work, 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 uh, and put forth all your energies into your your uh, studies, your congregation, people, uh, which is great. But we must never ever forget, brethren, our prime reason stems from our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Our spending time with the Master must be. Uh, first and foremost, we are nourished by him, encouraged by him, and fed by him so that we can turn around and, and be well-balanced and, and uh, uh, ready to, to deliver his word to those that God has put in front of us. So, again, it's like a swinging pendulum. Sometimes we get busy and we get to work, 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 and the pendulum swings one way uh, or another. But we must remember always to keep uh, that pendulum in the middle uh, with our time well spent, vested with our fellowship, first and foremost, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, brethren, I just want to... And uh, first let me read let me read the uh, second uh, chapter of Titus real quick, and then we'll go back and just uh, just sit back and uh, and go over these things and have a wonderful time. Uh, Titus 2 says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Or as the King James says, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they may be reverent behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things." These are principle right here, brethren. Verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us 
that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. Now as chapter 2 is taking off literally from the uh, last part of chapter 1, let me just read that, uh, verse 16 of chapter 1. It says, They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. And then our chapter today starts out, But as for you, he's going to explain the real Christianity. You know, um, there's so much talk today about what religion is, what Christianity is, uh, so many ideas that people lay out there about God and the Christian life and, and what and so forth. But the Bible is very, very explicit that the real Christian life, first of all, is death. And then as we are born again through faith in Jesus Christ, we understand that this is a new life, that the Christian life is a new life. It is a powerful life. It is a life that is from spiritual death to spiritual life. Remember what the Master said in John chapter 5, verse 24, explained what actually being born again. You know, in, in John chapter 3, he's, Nicodemus came to him by night. And Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And as Nicodemus questioned him, you know, Jesus gave him a solemn uh, admonition. He said, you are the master of Israel and you do not know these things? He didn't understand what truly being born again is all about. And we must start there, brethren, because true Christianity is being born again or born from above. Listen to what the master, the Lord Jesus himself said, remember, in our, our wonderful uh, verse in John chapter 5, verse 24. Memorize this. Know it well. Because in that verse, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him whom he has sent has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now let me read that again, brethren. John chapter 5, verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That is the Master's own description of what being born again is all about. So what a fitting way to open this wonderful discussion this morning in, in uh, Titus 2.1. But as for you, speak the things which become sound doctrine. Speak those things that are, that are right and that are true, that, that speak of the power of God and what the Christian life really is all about. You know, people cannot live the Christian life without Christ living in them. It's impossible. 
But look at what these things produce, and then we'll really get into the meat of our discussion in chapter, or excuse me, verses 11 through 15. But listen to this. In, in, in verse 2, he says that the older men be sober, sober-minded, reverent, temperate, sound in the faith, in love and patience. You know, sound in the faith. You know, it kind of reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. He's talking about how the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. This is why, brethren, that we have that we are for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the full measure of Christ. Why? So that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And that's in Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 12. So when the, when these men, these older men, whether they're an older in age or also older in the faith, as they've been growing up, as they've been maturing, and that takes time. Remember, the Christian life is not a sprint, as some, you know, teach today, you know. You get this certain teaching, you get this magical Bible and study Bible materials, and you can be a mature Christian in three days. That's not going to happen. It's persistence. It's plowing. That's why the Bible so much talks about the strength of the ox. And, and a lot of times, what they would do is they would have a stronger, bigger ox plow alongside a smaller, weaker one, so that the weaker one may be kept in line by by the stronger ox and taught how to plow correctly and grow in strength. And that's what we're doing here, brethren, with us that are that are so privileged and fortunate to be able to teach the word of God and to, to pastor and to shepherd and to oversee. What a calling we have. These men that grow up, they're reverent, they're temperate, they're sound in the faith, they're sound in love and in patience. Remember what the Apostle Paul says, God is love and those who love know God. And then he goes on to talk about the older women likewise, that they be reverent behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may be not blasphemed. You know, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a terrible sight today to see so many marriages uh, even within the, the uh, Christian church, that are falling apart, uh, that are ending, that um, that just don't they just don't take the uh, time to invest because I believe that a lot of the pulpits are lacking in in the proper teaching and the proper understanding of what happens to a man when he is born again, a man that looks and walks with Christ. You know, the marriage is such a sacred thing. Uh, the man of God is to uh, love his wife in, I believe, three separate areas that we won't get much into, but I think it's important. Paul taught, The Apostle Paul talks a lot about the roles of women, men, husbands, wives, marriage. Men, are we loving our wife? Are we, are, are we protecting her in the three precious areas that we should be? Number one, physically. I don't think that's too hard for most men. Number two, are we protecting our wife spiritually? 
which is where a lot of men fall down. And men, are we loving our wives and protecting her emotionally? The Bible says to live with our wives in an understanding way. They are built different. The wives need to be protected in these areas. Again, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And as the wife relating to her husband, um, I heard a great thing by Donald Gray Barnhouse one time talking about the role of, of, of a husband and a wife and a wife and a husband. He said that the wife is to be like a hearth or a, a warm fireplace as the husband comes in from the cold of the day and the brutality of the world. He could come by her and warm himself by her. That is a, just a beautiful description of, of men and women in marriage. Teach them to be reverent behavior. Not given to wine, teachers of good things. They admonish other women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet. You know, not not uh, not running around gossiping and and but adorning the doctrine of God. As we move on to these things, I think as we get into the latter part of this discussion about the pastor and what he needs to understand, these will become very, very relevant. Remember, brethren, that these, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy, are classically called the pastoral, or the pastoral epistles. Uh, they give so much um, understanding to the one that, that desires to uh, be an example and to teach the word of God uh, in sincerity. As we move on, it says in uh, verse 6, that likewise exhort the young men to be sober-minded. You know, you you think about sober-minded. What is being sober-minded? Sober-minded is to be single-minded, is to be have a clarity of mind uh, to where we have, we can exercise discernment, knowing what's right and wrong. Clarity in, in hearing God's voice as we get into his word. You know, every time that we open God's word and we come to it expectantly, he speaks to us. So many times people say, oh, I haven't heard a word from God in years or a long time. And I just feel like God doesn't speak to me. Well, brother, let me tell you, uh, you need to teach the people that God has put in front of you that every time we come to the word of God and we come reverently expecting to hear from God, he speaks to us through his word. He's promised to do that. And we know the shepherd's voice more and more and more as we get into his word and we know and we are refreshed and washed with the water of the word and we become to know him. Sober-minded, clarity, able to discern right from wrong, having discernment um, and showing all good, good judgment in the word. He says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. You know, one of the things that I have always marveled at, at as I have studied my pastor and have studied things that, that we're called to put in front of people, and that is the fact that I do not want to be a hypocrite. I've always marveled at the fact that as we teach the word of God, first and foremost, the one who teaches, brethren, remember this, i.e., I and you, get taught the most. The one who learns the most from the word of God, I believe, is the one who teaches the word. 
He is able to be taught. He is tender. He allows the Lord's Spirit to plow his heart and get ready as he sinks deeper into the Word of God to prepare it accurately and excellently by the Spirit of God to the people that that God has placed before him. And he says, again in verse 7, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Yourself. Remember what James says in in James chapter 2, in verse 18. Listen to this. He said, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Wow. This life that we have, this, this life is just not a religious belief. It's just not like, well, I'm this or I'm that. It is not a title. It is a personal relationship with the living God who has brought us out of death and into life. Life with himself. Do you realize that your congregation needs to understand that to be born again is to have the living God live his life inside of you through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the third person of the Trinity, the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. God the Father loved you and sent God the Son to die on the cross and take the punishment for your sin. And as he ascended to the Father, the Father and the Son sent God the Holy Spirit into the hearts and lives of those that trust Christ for their salvation. That the living God is living this life through you. The Christian life is the resurrected Christ through the Holy Spirit living his life through you. Brethren, that is power. And that changes everything. This is not religion. This is a relationship with the living God who created us. This is what we need to be teaching the pulpits. This is what we need to allow the Spirit of God, the freedom to expound his word and to expound it the way that he sees fit. Wow. We want to do it. We want to show this doctrine, the integrity of it, the reverence of it, and brethren, the incorruptibility of it, the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ. Are we communicating the gospel as Paul expounded it? Very simply put in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and, and, and down a little bit. This is the gospel by which we stand, and this is the gospel by which we are saved. And it is simply this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. The incorruptible word of God, the pure doctrine. Look at verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned. So those that will come against uh, Christianity, and those are many, many out there, and brethren, we need to understand, and now uh, as the it gets late in, in time and in history, we are living in the last days. Persecution is going to come from within. Those that mock and come from within that are going to persecute the true body of Christ, the true remnant. But verse 9 says, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters. 
to be well-pleasing to things, not answering back. You know, first of all, remember, God is a great defense attorney. I love that saying. He will defend us. We need to walk with integrity. We need to walk upright. We as uh, as employers to employees or uh, any type of relationship, you are to honor your employer. You are to work honestly. You are to, to not steal from him in the form of time, which is a form of money. If you are given an hour lunch, don't take an hour and 10 minutes. Don't take an hour and 15 minutes. Take the hour. Not answering back, even though he might, you might be wrong, suffer the wrong. Prove that, that you are full of integrity by what you do. God is a great defense attorney. We don't need to be answering back, pounding our uh, beliefs or our, our angle or whatever over somebody's head, but allowing God to defend ourselves. You look at the word defense in the Bible, and it's amazing how many times God is for us. And who can be against us, Paul says. Not stealing, but showing all good fidelity that we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. See, Christianity is an absolute encompassing of life itself. It's a brand new life which involves everything. Our, our life in Christ, our Christianity goes with us wherever we go. It permeates everything that we do, from treating our kids, from treating our husbands or wives, our dealings at work, our dealings at church, our dealings with a fellow man. Here's a good one are dealing with those that are really, really tough to deal with. Dealing with those that are unlovable. Dealing with those that are very, very um, just difficult to be around. It encompasses everything. The whole doctrine of God our Savior. I want to concentrate and just talk a little bit about these next five verses. Verses 11 through 15. These are notable, if you will, that's the, for the perfect balance of doctrine with living. We'll start out with, you know, the incarnation, the, the appearing of, of God. We're going to go th through all the things that that entails. What looking for the blessed hope uh, entails, how that involves appearing in your life and what that does. It is so imperative, I think, brethren, in this day and age to not only demonstrate, but bring back to the pulpit the freshness of the power of the Word of God. You know, this technological age where everybody has their little iPads and their little, little phones, and I'm not here to, to, you know, get down on apps, you know, Bible apps or whatever, but I've been in some churches, brethren, where they kind of encourage you to Get on their Bible app and follow through, their, you know, on your electronic device. And there are so many things out there that are clamoring for our attention. And yet the attention that we should be focusing on here as a pastor is the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God, the writer of Hebrews says, is living and active and it's more powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword because it goes right through the bone and the marrow and the heart, soul and the spirit, and it dwells right on the intents of the heart. It is a spiritual uh, power in the Word of God that brings us to the realization of what exactly 
has happened. You know, when we look at being born again or the spiritual Christian life through the eyes of God's word, we start to see that it is power and it is a different understanding of this life than the world wants to give us. Remember, the world out there hates Christianity and this world is spiraling to judgment. Look at, let's look at verse 11, brethren, real close. Let's look at these verses. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Wow. It's appeared to all men. This grace of God. Let me read down just a little bit. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So the grace of God, what is that? Some people clarify it as it's undeserved favor. Yes, it is. But let's go a little bit further than that. The grace of God is that all that God has, he has given us of himself in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You look at Psalm 145, for example. God is full of mercy. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's wonderful. He is so merciful. So he had mercy, and that mercy opened up the door of grace that he would shed himself upon us and become a man and live that perfect life that you and I could not live. So therefore, he was the Son of Man. And yet, being perfect and being sinless and being God himself, although perfectly God and perfectly man, in one went to the cross and was the was the wonderful true substitute for our for he took our punishment upon himself god punished christ on the cross for your and mine sin that's grace i don't deserve it you don't deserve it we could not do enough works to even look at the kingdom of God, nonetheless, enter in. So this grace appeared, bringing salvation. It's appeared to all men. It's available to all men. We must watch these doctrines such as Calvinism and others that enter in that say, nope, grace appeared some are saved, some are damned to hell. No, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John says in his first epistle that Christ the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. That Paul expounds that it's a gift that Christ died to give us eternal life and we must receive that forgiveness of sins and that gift of eternal life. It is available to all men. And once we receive that, what is that grace? What is that free offer of salvation? What is that that gift of forgiveness entail? That grace teaches us something. When we've been forgiven of all of our sin and we have that relationship with Christ, look at real close, verse 12. When we've received the grace of God that brought salvation, it teaches us something. When we are truly born again and truly have a relationship with Christ, we are taught to deny ungodliness, to deny unworldly lusts, that we should live righteously, 
soberly, soberly minded and godly brethren in this present age. You know, there's a lot of wolves out there. A lot of wolves in sheep's clothing that will appear to be a sheep, that will appear to be one of God's, but inside they're ravening wolves. There's so much in the Word of God. We can go from, from the prophets to Jesus Christ to the apostles down that have written so much about these false prophets that want to tell you something different, that want to show you something different. But true Christianity is a changed life. It's the real deal. It's a life that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it causes men to see the reality and the validity of the risen Christ whom we claim as live and real. Our profession is proved by how we live. It teaches us something. You know, the grace, I want to show you in another passage that many of you know by heart, you should know by heart, but it is a perfect tense to the Christian life. And it's found also in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Remember that verse, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brethren, that's it. We've been saved by grace through faith. Faith is the avenue that we apprehend the grace of God and believe it, and we are saved. And then... The good works follow as evidence of that saved, changed life. He says, not of works as anyone would suppose. Listen, those who get in, those that are with Christ for eternity will be a showcase of his grace, it says in Ephesians. Will be a showcase of his grace for ages to come. People and every created thing will marvel at us because of the grace of God saving us, not by anything we have done, but by everything he has done. He, being the author of life, has brought us from spiritual death into life, life with himself. That is exciting, brethren. That is exciting to me. Man, I love Jesus Christ. He has brought me from death into life we are alive and i want to go on to this next part verse 13 which is so important brethren it says looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ you know as i have for years expounded on on the return of christ the coming you know that the aspect of what is commonly called the rapture you know, you'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You'll find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is a wonderful, wonderful understanding of the fact that what Jesus said in the Uproom Discord. You know, if you really want to find the start of this wonderful doctrine, what is the blessed hope? 
Brethren, our, the blessed hope of the church is Jesus Christ coming back to meet us in the air to snatch away his bride that they will be with him forever. That's our blessed hope. That's also what being born again in the life of God produces an expectancy that Christ is coming back for us. Listen to what, we all know these verses. I get excited. Listen to what John says in John 14. Jesus is talking here. They're in the upper room the night before he was he was uh, to be betrayed. Listen to what, he's, what he says. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Listen to this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now that's not the second coming of Christ to earth, brethren. That is the coming of Christ in the air to snatch his bride away so that we will be with him. When he comes back to the earth, we will come back with him. So in the rapture, he comes back and snatches his bride to himself. In the second coming, we will come to the earth. We will come back with our Lord Jesus Christ. You find that in Revelation chapter 19, starting verse 11. So we have an expectancy. And look what, and listen to what John says. I love this. About us being with him. You know, uh, when he comes back, we won't shrink away at his coming. You know, we're, we're to abide and we're to look expectantly, expectantly for his coming. He says, and now little children, abide in him, that when he appears, when he appears in the air, calls us to himself, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, this is what salvation and grace teaches us. Not only to live right, deny ungodliness, and to live right, but also to look for Him's appearing. That gives me three things, brethren, that teaches us that we have a very, very important role in this life until He comes. Jesus says, occupy until I come. The rapture also gives us meaning in life. Meaning in life. Validity. Meaning to this life. He is coming back for us. And it also means that this life has an expectancy. It has an urgency. It has an excitement about it. You know, there's so much depression today. There's so much, even in the, within the church, there's so much alcoholism. There's so much uh, drug abuse. There's so much immorality. Even within the professing Christian church, people have lost the sight of the fact that what this grace that brought us salvation does, it not only changes our life, it gives us a right standard of living, but it also gives us the expectancy, the importance, the validity of this life, looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and at any time. This is one uh, understanding when Christ comes back to meet us in the air, 
and to snatch us away to himself. Nothing has to be fulfilled prophetically for that to happen. It's an expectation uh, that we have. Listen to these words. He said, for I, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, by the way, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. He's talking about those that have already passed away and that have died. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So in other words, those of, of the loved ones that have fallen asleep don't worry, they haven't perished. God has them perfectly. They will, in a twinkling of an eye, be snatched right before we will. All in a twinkling of an eye. Listen to this. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, will be caught up. That's where the word rapture comes from. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now that is truly amazing. You know, I have, I just don't know of any more of an amazing, uh, comforting thought and expectation in life than that. And we're to comfort one another with these words. Now, let me just contrast that real quick so we have a perfect understanding. That's the catching away of the saints or the rapture. That's when Christ comes to, to meet us in the air, to snatch his bride away and take us to the Father's house. Now, I want to read a passage that that's not to be confused with the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth, which we will be coming back with him. Let me just read this wonderful passage. This is out of Revelation chapter 19. Let me start at verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Listen to this, brethren. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and we know that is the saints, that's the church. They've, we've already been caught up with them. We've already been to the Father's house. And the church is the only ones that are called clothed in fine linen, white and clean elsewhere. We followed him on white horses. But out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. Now, that is when we come back to the earth with him, because we've already been caught up in the air by him to be with him, and he takes us to the Father's house. It is a wonderful, wonderful expectation. The catching away, this is what this produces. And in and looking forward at any moment, it's called the doctrine of imminency. Imminency, in other words, it's imminent. It can happen at any moment. It's hanging over the head. That's the idea of imminency, that nothing has to happen for that to come. It can happen at any time. So that is a blessed, 
hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. And he goes on to describe that brethren who gave himself for us. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people for good works. His own special people. <laughs> you know, do you realize that, that do your, we need to, to make people realize that we are special to God. He redeemed us back to himself by his own blood, that we might be his special people. His special people. That is an amazing thing. You know, I wanted to read this passage about, uh, it's in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul is talking about husbands and wives, and he finally relates that to love of Christ to his church. But listen to this. He said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he, Christ, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So getting back to our verse, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Zealous for good works. You know, as God is kind, he's generous, he's loving, he's merciful. He takes great pleasure when his people allow him to live his life through them. And they become gracious, compassionate, kind gentle, full of mercy and good works. And you start to see where this, this great epistle really shows us what a life in Jesus Christ is really all about. And my friends, Satan hates it when we proclaim sound doctrine. He hates it. I want to end this morning's uh, discussion with the last verse, verse 15. And I want to specifically speak to, to us who, who have, have the authority of teaching the Word of God and whose God has entrusted the Gospel. You know, I can't get very far when I, I realize that, uh, remember when we were in 1 Timothy, when we first started our discussions in, in the series, True Pastoring, one of my greatest things that encouraged me so much is 1 Timothy, where Paul is talking. And in the, he's talking about that the gospel is for murderers and, and you know, manslayers, fornicators, and, and kidnappers, all these type of people, perjurers, and anything that's contrary to sound doctrine. But listen to what he says. This is in First uh, Timothy one eleven. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The gospel was committed to his trust. The gospel, my friends, has been committed to us. We have a, a trust that has been committed to us. 
We want to be faithful in that. We want to we want to be strong in that. We want to be affluent in that, absorbed in it, that it might be absorbed in us. Look at verse 15. So speak these things. He's talking to you and I, brethren. Speak these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. We come in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the authority to tell people that they can be forgiven of their sin. That by placing their trust in Christ as their substitute for the lost and undone condition, that Christ took their sin on the cross, that Christ was buried, that three days later Christ rose from the dead, is not only proof that their sins are gone, but proof that he was the only sacrifice that the Father accepted on their behalf. Speak these things with authority. Exhort and rebuke. If one comes and tries to malign our Father's word, we need to rebuke them with all authority, yet doing it in love, so perhaps God might grant them repentance, the Bible says. We need to be strong in the faith. We need to be courageous. You read the book of Joshua, especially in the verse, in the first chapter. And in there, you'll find the fact that he is always admonishing Joshua to be courageous and be strong. To meditate on the word of God, to get into it and to meditate on it. And he is courageous and strong because the Lord God is with him wherever he went. The Lord God is with us wherever we are. He is speaking. He is beseeching. Remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said that we are to preach the message of reconciliation as if God were pleading through us. Be ye reconciled to God. Brethren, that's with all authority. That's with confidence. Our God loves those that we are ministering to. And we need to be authoritative in love with all authority speaking these things. Brethren, I hope this morning has been an encouragement to you. I know it's been with me. Um, let's love those with all that we can, with all of our might, those that God has put before us. Let's get into the Word of God and let it get into us and to really realize that it's the Lord God that we are to please. It's the Lord God that is watching over us. It's the Lord that that admonishes us to give everything that we have. You know, I remember uh, one pastor years and years ago, he admonished me to preach every message as if it were my last to preach every message as if it were my last with enthusiasm, with joy, with authority, with the power that God supplies. I want to end you this morning uh, on that last note by reading something that the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5. He, he says, The elders who are among you, I exhort, who I am also a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, 
which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Did you hear that? When Christ, the chief shepherd, appears, faithful shepherds will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. With all authority, we are to teach, we are to exhort, we are to do it with joy, we are to do it with, with wonderment. Because the word of God is a true wonderment. It's it's something that we we are so privileged to have. And I want to end again, brethren, before I say goodbye for the now. I want to end with what the King James Version trans the King James translators said in their epistle. Um opening epistle to the the King James Version. Listen to what these translators said. But among all our joys, there was no one that more filled our hearts than the blessed continuance of the preaching of God's sacred word among us. That is that inestimable treasure which excelleth all the riches of the earth, because the fruit thereof extended itself not only to the time spent in this transitory world, but directeth and disposeth men unto that eternal happiness which is above in heaven. Think on these things, brethren. Until next time, God bless you as you get into his word and fellowship with him. I'll see you next time.